if you're just tuning in welcome that co collab there was what bad what was that sigh about what do you mean what was what sigh about you just went that <sighs> you know I'm just a bit exasperated today. I don't know why. Like, I'm not like... Carlos. Yeah, just venting. But that collaboration there, um, Badsha, J Balvin and Taney, like, a bit of an unexpected one. You've got your Hispanic and your um, Desi vibes coming together as one. But, yeah, my name's Gerns. I'm joined here by Halima. What's up, guys? And we've also got Simran. You good? Hi. Is my mic on? Technical difficulties, guys. <laughs> As always. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the mics it. have switched around we like they it. always do. Right. We got it, we got it. Right. right. So we have got Halima. Once again, hi, guys. <laughs> we've got me, Gerns, and we've got Simran on stream. How are you doing? Hi. Why are you so smiley today, Simran? Yeah. I'm still drunk from last night. Oh, no. Nice. <sighs> Nice. Classic Simran. Absolutely classic Simran. Waste man. You're living the life that I want. <laughs> Not the drunk bit, just the having fun all the time bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I really shouldn't be having any fun right now. It's crunch time, but oh well. Whatever. You can retake an exam, you can't retake a wave. What? I mean, I don't know whether that's really how you should be living your life, but um, that's not a very good example to set on radio, Simran. Sorry. No, I don't care. You can retake an exam. You can retake. <laughs> I will not be the one to reprimand you. Mm. That, that will not come from me. But um, before we get into the main theme of today, I know you guys were talking about something you wanted to talk about. Um, we wanted to vent a little we bit. Start, so go on. About men. Yeah. So I was basically ah. going around to dinner like um, tonight, um, and I was giving my friend a um, a shopping list. Mm. And I was just complaining that any time I've ever had to send a man into the shop, like, men are just notorious for getting things wrong. Like, last time, this was a few weeks ago, like, I had to give a man a shopping list to go to... Listen, let me... Guys, have you ever been to customer service in a supermarket to return food? No, I And I neither have I, because more time, if I get the wrong item, I just firm it. But it was a case where it was that many wrong items that it was it was just a massive waste of money and food if you actually... That was the first time in my life I had to go customer service to, re to return food. And it's because a man could not pick out the right items, even though I'd given a list. And now it got to the point where I was specifically capitalised, like, I want this, not this. Like, it's ridiculous. You know when you have to like attach pictures of the item? Oh my god! Like screenshotting like yogurt. Oh my god! And you know what I did last time when we then had to go back to customer service? What I did instead, I said to him, "This is what you got. Now tell me without instruction what you should have got." And he still didn't get it right. And I don't. Are you like this, Carlos? I mean, I don't think I am. Um like that in general like i think i'm quite good in general the one thing that's coming to mind is like one time when um, my fiance sent me to the supermarket and i got the wrong goat's cheese but like i said i got like right, a, that's a, a quite particular. Said but i'm just kind of a bit like how was i meant to know like like, like right, what's, a, what's a, an example for you no that everything literally every like i'll tell you so i've just get, had to give the same person a list again and i've had to say last time i said get like fish burgers right he came home with fish cakes and this is another thing as well not only did they get it wrong the item wrong they got the quantity wrong why did he come home with four fish cakes for two people i said why have you done that he says well you didn't specify how many would you have liked two people two fish cakes is that not it's not not just common sense but and if you're not sure ask but i thought that's what you just said is it not if you got four fish cakes divided by two that's two each, right? No, like one, two fish cakes, one each. For oh. one dinner. Oh, okay, yeah. It's for yeah. one dinner. And if you're not sure, just ask. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I am guilty of that. Like, sometimes I'll be at the supermarket and, like, I will just go for it rather than trying to text. But I'm just, that's because I'm just kind of a bit like, I'm not going to text every single time just to, like... Well, if you had intuition, you wouldn't have, have to be texting all the time. Well, I did have intuition. I chose the wrong, 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 wrong intuition. <laughs> Wrong uh, intuition. Men, bloody useless. Any comments, Simran? Men suck. Yeah. In, in her opinion. 
We hate men. Right, okay, guys, 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 guys. Guys, you can't go around saying that, okay? Okay, you guys are pretty useless, yeah. though. Okay, fine. Um, I just, like, they just suck. <laughs> no, my case when it rises, they actually... They actually are useless. Like, yeah. I've been reading up on something. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called weaponized incompetence. Incompetence. Oh my god, Simon, I was just about to raise the same thing. I'll explain what it is. It's basically the per- per- underperforming on purpose, so you know you will not be asked to repeat that behavior again. Right. For example, screwing up the shopping because you don't want to do the shopping, so you do it all wrong. Therefore, your partner just thinks it's easier. Oh, I'll just do it myself. I don't have yep. to go back and return and yep. things. Yep. Therefore, you're never asked to do the shop again yep. because you've you've formed incompetence. Therefore, your your partner assumes that you're incompetent. So to save time, effort and money and energy, they just do things themselves instead of asking you to do it because they believe that you're not you're not going to perform the job to a good enough standard or you're going to make their life harder by you doing it. Hence why a lot of men get away with not doing the shop, not looking after kids, not it's cleaning the house. In, in like typical, like in the stereotypical, like in the sense of the like um, concept is kind of where it's applied is like heterosexual relationships where men don't upkeep responsibilities because of weaponized incompetence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm gonna. Pa- I'm not gonna comment on that because I feel like and sometimes like, I do not- play into that. I'm not gonna lie. Like, and like it's, it's not. It's it's done. It's performed on purpose. So you weaponize it. So you you've you've underperformed something on purpose, and you use that to your advantage in the future, knowing that your partner's gonna think that oh, if I go and get the wrong everything on the list, they're never gonna ask me to do it again. So, but you saved you saved your butt basically. I think with me it's that sometimes i know that the other person can do, it can do a better job oh. and do it a lot faster oh. so i'm just kind of a bit like what? it just doesn't incentivize you learning or you practicing something that's what it is the thing with me right is that like i i've i've tried and like i'm just really slow at everything oh, like oh my gosh then it's a 50 50 if, if you're picking up responsibilities elsewhere and it's in a shared partnership then fair enough if you're naturally better at some things it works you know mm. you can't put these theories into practice and they're mm. going to work 100 percent of the time like if it works 50 50 with other things yeah then yeah but it, when it's like so one-sided and only one person's doing you know the kind of like adult chores and stuff like that like when it's a practical thing such as like cleaning the house or doing a shop i feel like it is something that needs to be taken on by both people yeah yeah no definitely i think i do like i think in my relationship we kind of do the things that make sense if i'm like i'm i'm a lot better at other things than she is and vice versa yeah um but of like when you say cleaning the house i do think i don't know about cleaning the house but i think in terms of like for example if you need to, need to tidy your room i have no problem in like tidying room but like i will take like half a day oh. to do it Whereas somehow man can has manages to do it in five minutes. I I don't understand. Like I I it's don't. Because I, I don't you know like why. How. Like it's I, I don't know because I in my experience with men ha- have had the same problem and I'm thinking like is it a coincidence that every man that I've come across is just like that or like is it actually a socialization thing like mm. like you, you guys are just not groomed for for domesticity the same way that women are you know mm-hmm. like may, is she, does she take five minutes and you take five hours just because that's who you are or because she has a lot more practice because she's been groomed that way and you haven't it's very true to be fair you know and yeah. and that's kind of where the conundrum is because it's kind of like in order for you to practice and get better you need to do it but the process is so painstaking mm. and for and me personally it- i'm such a control freak i cannot i can't yeah. handle watching a man take 30 minutes to cut one onion when i know it'll take me a minute but also yeah. as well like in a romantic relationship setting as well i think when you try and undergo that process of teaching someone how to clean or how to do something efficiently or do a shop and walk them through it you just turn into their mother mm. and i such a that tip yeah up, that ends up ending a lot of relationships as well because yeah. i feel like it's not just become a partnership it doesn't it's no longer like romantic you're you're yeah. teaching some things that they should have known when they were 10 years old absolutely and, and that's it's such a it's such a like difficult line to toe i feel like in a relationship that line between i think in all relationships you need to have grace and understand that listen your partner is not going to come perfect and if you understand the way that men are socialized it doesn't matter how much of a good job their parent has done there will always be some aspects where they're not 
quite there you know and you and it's important to have enough compassion and enough grace to be like you know what okay certain things yeah i will teach and i will be patient on but to have to teach them absolutely everything and they're still just not doing it that's yeah it's a really it's a really like um difficult compromise i think yeah and then i think i saw this like um I think it was a TikTok, and it was basically saying like a, a lot of relationships end when the when the man starts getting mothered because then yeah. they feel like they're nagged all the time. You feel like all you're doing is nagging, mm-hmm. and then you're constantly like complaining about little things because mm-hmm. it's important to you, and then they feel like everything they're doing is inadequate, and that ultimately leads to the breakdown of relationships. But yeah. it's like, like you said, I definitely agree. You can't expect someone to come perfect, and you have to come with a certain understanding that they're not like gonna you know different levels of socialization and different fam- family standards and during upbringing and stuff obviously changes a person in adulthood but you know to an extent you have to kind of agree on what you expect in terms of like the practical sides of things like household responsibilities and stuff like that mm. and also like especially when now it's a very different society that we live in that i think women are still expected to uphold all the standards of a stay-at-home mom while also working 40 hours a week yeah. and it's like people are full-time mums you know it's a full-time job in itself but looking after yeah. kids after a household and stuff yeah, to do that on top of working a full-time job absolutely. i think and, and having to do both perfectly do you know what i mean yeah and it's really funny like what we consider labor right like traditionally is like so through a marxist lens like what well, like what marxism says is that where typically in a capitalist system we attribute labor to kind of like going out and earning a living it means that we don't see domesticity as labor and actually it absolutely is child rearing is labor housekeeping is labor we just don't give women their dues in that way mm-hmm. yeah no i can definitely agree with that and um, for the listeners at home you might be getting like a um sort of a buzzing noise which is really annoying yeah, me yeah we can't figure out what that is and really. basically I think what the situation is that um, Halima's microphone isn't working for some reason and I think this other microphone here it's that one that's on which somehow picks up everything so I'm, I'm going to propose can't what, we turn that one off? we can right but then mine, mine goes off yeah I don't Hang think on, I'm yours tuning, is I'm tuning in I'm tuning in yeah so I think that for example it's, if, it's off now yeah, but you're, that's your mic technically on, so it's clearly it's just not working. So I propose. Carlos and I share a mic. Yay! Yay! <laughs> You'll be able to hear us now, though. We're just gonna get very close and comfortable. Carlos, <laughs> I got a mic. I got a little sneak peek of Halima's outfit. It was very, very cute. I would like to see the full thing. Thank you. So I bought these new pants from Bershka. Oh, they're gorgeous. Yeah, and I got this. Pants from Bershka. And I got this um, crop top situation. Where's this from? Maybe like ASOS a while crop ago. Crop top from ASOS. The body's yeah. looking good, girl. You've been hitting gym. Thank you. Yes, oh, I God. have. Thank you. Thanks, Simran. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Jealous. I cannot wait. I mean, we'll do it for the prequel, but I cannot wait to do the gym episode. I've got so much to say. Yeah, when, I are we, when are we doing it? When are Can we, we doing do it, it, it when I actually start going back to the gym? Because I need to, I need to on, go, Carlos. guys. Come I on, need Carlos. to go. You could do it. Look, you lot, you lot, I've got to say it live on it. I've got, I've got to say it live on radio. I PB'd on hip thrust. Yeah, 150 kg hip thrust. Wow. 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 I don't know what that means, but yeah. Wow. Personal bench. You hit a personal bench. Like three of you. A hundred, so three of me, like, so what is a hip, like, what, what? You put the barbell over your pelvic, like, on your pelvic and bone, you and then you sit underneath it, and then you thrust it all the way up. Ah. So your, back, your back's against something, and then you thrust it all the way up. So, okay, weightlifting queen. Is that, like, your whole body, then, that that's exercising? No, like, your, like your glutes. Target, it targets the hamstrings and the glutes. Okay, Most cool. you, you thrust with your hips, not your body. Mm. No, that's cool. Well done, Simran. Yeah, come on. Come on, Miss weight- Weightlifting Expert. I know, yeah. Right, we're going to have to get a bit, little bit closer. Or sh- shall we, like, pass the mic to you? It's a very formal thing. Your hair's so cute as well. Oh, my God. Thank you, Simran. You know what? Let me put my glasses on so I can compliment you, because I can't lie. I can't see anything right now. Carlos, you're looking... Beautiful. Beautiful. All of us. What a great-looking trio we are. I know. 
Anyway, we've literally been procrastinating oh, for 20 minutes. Can you please ask Bianca? Can you please ask Bianca what she wore to brunch the other day? Because I loved it. Well, yesterday it was the dolly mixture dress i would like to call it she wow. got it from me she got it from asos wow. no it's the same it's oh the same God, how do you know where it's from already thank you no because she literally bought it the other day that's why oh. i know no i call it the dolly mixture because it's the same colors as dolly mixture you know like yeah, um, if you're listening i didn't see the dress no but it's like you know the orange purple that, i know it's like, one yeah yeah but yeah, anyway, listening super cute i should have messaged you actually no no, do it. Go for it. But guys, we literally procrastinate for 20 minutes. This was meant to be a very special episode. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, then I got angry about the existence of men. Classic. How can you get angry? Right. Just inconveniencing us all the time, aren't they, men? Mm. It's men's fault that this episode is not going to plan. Mm. On that note, I would like oh, to just take God. this instance. That's my cue to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Today is a very special episode where we honour this great country that we all live in. Oh gosh. We're focusing specifically on England. It is St. George's Day. Is it today? Yes. The rain over. I'm not doubly offended. First by your singing, secondly by the song. Anyway, right, in case I I feel like a lot of people because we posted on Instagram um, a very interesting picture of Halima. I feel like a lot of people. I I feel like. Yeah, I want to go see it again. I feel like a lot of people maybe didn't get that it's satire. I feel like they saw St. George's Day and were like, okay, nope. Either that or I feel like Instagram shadow banded because even though I, I, when I was doing it, I the downstairs region was already pixelated, but I was like, I need to pixelate the upper region as well because I know Instagram's gonna like probably take it down or something. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe that. Halim has been out and about. celebrating my <laughs> my queen and country <laughs> but i think we decided on today saint george's day which is the patron saint day of england that we're gonna focus a bit on england um england. Na- nationality england. Uh, pride all england. of that sorry gonna get sorry. a bit bit rowdy bit rowdy but like this first initial conversation, which I think is going to have to be a bit shorter now looking at the time, but I wanted to just have a conversation with you guys about what pride actually means to you personally. So, does anyone want to go first? Like, national pride? Or just, like, yes, national pride, but, like, yeah, do you, do you have any form of national pride for any country or no? Or what, what do you think about it? You know what I'm about to say? Um, nationalism is inherently violent okay guys there should really be it's inherently violent it's inherently exclusionary the the existence of nationalism is inherently is, is inherently exclusionary because it what it is 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 it essentially i'm trying to think of the right way to say it it's it's champion like so there's two basically the only right type of nationalism is what we call pragmatic nationalism. So a nationalism that's just kind of like national pride, national kind of... Because all borders are made up, right? So all borders are made up. All borders are violent. Like the existence of a, a border denotes violence because it denotes like exclusion and um, it kind of going into the whole conversation about citizenship and how all of that is very violent the only kind of nationalism that is okay is pragmatic nationalism so for example right now you know a a real life example would be like palestinian nationalism right or for example like me being um like uh, it's a tricky one with bangladesh because i wouldn't say i'm nationalistic right because i can't believe in borders i just cannot believe in borders and also like where there's border there is as i keep repeating violence and exclusion because to champion champion a group of people what you are doing is you are you are entitling a certain land or a certain culture to a certain like a demographic and therefore excluding those outside of that demographic who may also be part of that land and that culture but you they don't fit into like the mainstream imaginations of such right um it's very hegemonic right that's what i'm saying so all nationalism is bad but only when it's pragmatic so for example the only time i feel kind of for lack of a better term like nationalistic for example about bangladesh is when i think about like 71 and what bangladesh has been through to become bangladesh you know 
So that is that is I think the only instances in where like nationalism is a political tool. A political tool that can be used in a positive way. Right. Yeah. Um what about you, Simran? Me personally, I agree with everything Halima just said, but me personally, I don't feel nationalism towards absolutely any country that I am supposed to belong to. Yeah. I feel like as a Punjabi, yeah. I don't feel any sense of like national pride towards India because of the very violent yeah. and like exclusionary history that yeah. India has had towards the state of Punjab and its people yeah. over the last few centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never really been a massive part of my life in that I felt connected to India as a country. Punjab and the land, 100%. And that's yeah. why I was very apparently Punjabi, I think. We all feel very connected to Punjab That's itself. more like cultural pride, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was saying. And I think yeah. it's a big thing in the Punjabi culture itself. And it's like a lot of my friends and stuff agree that we all say that. Like, you know, when people ask me what I am, I say I'm Punjabi. I never, I never say I'm Indian. I always yeah. say I'm Punjabi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, very proud to be Punjabi. Yeah. And for me, just given the history of violence against Sikh and Punjabi people, yeah. I've never felt connected or yeah. I've never felt like I, it never felt right to say that I'm Indian. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I fully and get then, you. I fully get you. And like that really, that example, like proper, proper nail, hits the nail on the head on what I, what I was saying, right? When you think about nationalism as like a normative construct and, and as a, and a statist construct, right? Because nationalism, you're talking about a nation state. Nation states are wrong. They're all colonial constructs. They're all colonial continuities. You can't feel pride towards a a a, a, a a colonial continuity a construct of literally a legacy a hangover of empire you can't like i mean you can but like personally i think that would be very wrong um so what Simon was saying about how you can have cultural pride if you're Punjabi, if you're Bengali, like whatever you can you can feel um, happy and proud and 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 you know champion your like ethnic culture, your home culture, but to then um, translate that into a uh, championing of the state, knowing what a state is, I don't personally think that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and can sorry, were you gonna say something? No, go for it. Conversely the british side of my life Mm. i feel like my understanding of england before i went to uni so being here in slough where everyone was brown everyone looked like me the culture that Punjabi culture indian culture south asian culture is very embedded in my day-to-day life i felt like it was normal to say that i'm british because that was my only understanding of britain and it was being around people that looked like me and spoke like me yeah but and being in a place like near London or in London that was extremely diverse and having friends from all different backgrounds, that was my understanding of what it was like to be British. Going up north for uni changed everything Mm. and it made me feel so much less British and more, I was very, uh, basically I was made very hyper aware that I was different when I came to Liverpool. Not necessarily a bad thing, I will put add, but obviously like I had racist experiences and stuff like that, like people would make comments, lots and lots of microaggressions and actual some straight up like just being called slurs and stuff, um, which is crazy. But like that's that's when I became quite hyper aware of the fact that England is for white people and that mm. is the default you know well i was gonna actually um ask as well obviously when we're talking about national pride in this sense we're talking about um people of color um in relation to the land of their heritage and feeling nationalistic about that Mm. so um, I feel like I'm lighting a bomb here, but like, what, yeah. what, what about England? Yeah, so what do you guys think about, not even necessarily from um, any of you guys in perspective, but white British or English people feeling pride about England or Britain? What do you think about that? Um, I think like we've spoken about it on the show before in relation to football hooliganism because I think it's a place that gives a, a platform I think for it to come out a lot for some reason um, and it's like Helene said inherently violent and it gives me a hard time in terms of, like when I think about it and I think about like our colonial past and where this is rooted in it's in a way a little bit scary like the way that people truly truly believe in it and then when you look at the like facts and the history behind everything it's like what are you supporting here and as a person of color viewing that from someone that lives in britain it i think it's just a constant reminder that 
no matter how much this country tries to push the we're not racist, we're multicultural, we're ethnically diverse agenda forward, as much as they can try and push it forward, there is always has and probably always will be an us and them mentality. Um, it's funny, it, this kind of like goes back to what you were saying before, Simran, about um, oh, I felt British when I was in Slough and then when my the, the kind of like the demographic surrounding me changed, I felt less British. Um, <clears throat> it's a really com- interesting comment on what what being british is or like what britishness is and there is very much a mainstream idea of what being british is like there is in every form of nationalism and this is what i was saying before there's always a mainstream um kind of imagination of what a demographic is and what and what demographic makes a nation state right um and then there's actually the reality of it there's the actual reality of it and actually when you look at what it means to be british what it means to be british is is to be to be british is to be global right and i think that is where the kind of like the political and the racial tension in this country comes from that's where it stems in i think it's that it's that contention it's that resistance and that refusal to accept that to be british is to be global for example the way that we think about this us and them and the way that we mark certain bodies as being authentically and legitimately british and un, and mark other bodies as being illegitimately british is very very weird like they would look at me and my family like mainstream britishness right would look at and mainstream british political ideology would look at me and my family as being um immigrants as being foreigners would look at my dad as being an immigrant would look at my mum as being an immigrant but my but my family were british subjects four centuries ago isn't that mental I always say this it's so crazy like like who who are you calling an immigrant my grandma who can't even get a visa to 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 a, a visitor visa to come to England was at the time of her birth a british subject you know like it's so like why are you re- like that and, and that is what i'm that i think is the problem with like british national pride it's that erasure it's that erasure because I, I feel like, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with British cultural pride, you know, if they're talking about like, oh, we love our countryside and, and we love British cheese and British, I don't know, what else is British? That's what Liz Truss is, that keeps on going about British cheese. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, what are like, benign British... Yorkshire puddings. Yorkshire puddings and Sunday dinners and all of that. Like you could, and Tracy Beaker, you know, like you can be proud of all of those British things. But to say that I am jingoistic and I'm nationalistic. <laughs> now, Tracy Beaker's a national treasure. You know what I mean, guys. Come on. Do we have what? Scone and cr- clotted cream and jam and Tracy Beaker. The most quintessential British things, yeah. you know? That's the most British thing about Halima, guys. She loves scones. I do. I love, I love. Listen, when the Brits came up with jam and scones and clotted cream, they hit. They hit the way they were supposed to hit. That's the that's the only time I'll say anything nationalistic. They really hit they really slap with that one. But you know, outside alright, okay. But outside have you ever had it? Yeah. It's delicious. It's a bit overhyped. Oh, whatever, Carlos. Whatever. Nah, if, you only, if, you, if you don't have one for a while, that, that first going after like six months, it hits, man. It's so good, man. But anyways, I'm not talking about that kind of, that you know, benign British culture in that way. I'm talking about the fact that Britain has a very, like British nationalism has been dangerous. It was Britain in all of history has had the largest empire in 1920 the peak of british empire it was the largest history the largest sorry empire that history has ever seen right and that empire and the violence of colonialism and the violence of empire and the violence of slavery was all founded on ideas of british nationalism and and the kind of racial superiority that that underlies all of that so if you're gonna now in 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 present day have an earnest conversation about british pride and british nationalism you there needs to be a reckoning with britain's past and what that nationalism has led to in the past right but there isn't instead there's a resistance to it there's a reluctance to it there is a safeguarding of what britishness is despite what history has shown us you know and despite what the reality is on the ground in this country Mm. so in that way i don't think um british nationalism scores me and forget about the past forget about colonialism and empire and all of these things like what what are we seeing today right here right now all of these fascist groups the edl and the bmp and and you know ukip and all of these guys one of their foremost ideologies is british nationalism english nationalism to be quite specific you know 
I just have um, one final question before we play a bit of music. Um, obviously, I think all of us right now don't necessarily have that much, if any, pride when it comes to being quote-unquote British. However, um, I wanted to ask, because obviously you all will have been at some state um, when you were younger, somewhat ignorant, because obviously you're a child, you don't know anything, um, to the realities of empire, of colonialism, etc. So has there ever been any point in your life where you were proud to be British or at what point did you actually become anti-proud to be British? That's an interesting question. So similar to Simran, where I grew up in an area in Longside, as I always say, it was 72% non-white. So I did not, I don't even count myself as having grown up in, in, in England, right? In like mainstream England. And I don't even count my, I don't even r- recall having any exposure to that until much later when I was a teenager, when I actually moved out into the suburbs, right? Or actually when I went to private school, that was the first time I would say that I actually had in year seven, that first exposure of like, English people in that way everyone else I knew my my primary school was 98% Muslim right like that is the kind of area that I grew up with so for me that is what Britain was and that is what Britain remains to me today when I think about my British because the thing is is that as much as I sit here and I'd be like Britain I'm British I am British I was born (laughs) 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 but it's just so accurate isn't it like you know um I was born here. I was born here. I was brought up here. You know, 20 minutes from where we're filming this right now. I've been here my whole life. I think someone um, like you, Halima, you obviously have a very distinctive Manchester Northern accent as well. So it's very interesting to then hear someone who, if, say, if we, um, like, put a um, removed video whatever and just had your voice people then, wouldn't no. necessarily be able to exactly, tell like, exactly so, so it's interesting to hear you speak like right and the uh, thing is is that I can as I said before I can sit here and I can deny Britain and I can deny this country all I want but you know what I can't I cannot because the last time me and my ancestors and, and my kind of racial identity and my cultural identity and my ethnic identity was devoid of Britain was the 1600s. It was the medieval times, you know? Like, Britain has been part of me and my identity for the past four, five hundred years. You cannot, there is no escaping that. I cannot, even if I wanted to, deny the Britishness in my identity, you know? But I, it's not a mainstream Britishness. It's not Englishness. You know, it is, it's a more cosmopolitan idea and and a more realistic and real idea and understanding of what Britain is, which is cosmopolitan, which is global, which is diverse and multicultural. I am specifically British Bangladeshi, not just British, not just Bengali, specifically that thing, right? So, yeah. (laughs) Any final comments, Simran? I have a question for you, Carlos. Yeah. How do... Like coming from dual heritage, how do you feel about it all? Mm. I feel like, I feel like in general, there's probably like a lot to unpack here. So I feel like that's probably like for another episode to properly go into it. But obviously, it is a bit weird sometimes thinking about oh yeah, half of my ancestors colonized the other half, oh, and it's yeah. just like <laughs> yeah, like what a contention hey? Yeah, it, it's it's very weird. And um, I think in regards to myself, I don't think I've ever felt proud to be British. I've never been like, oh my gosh, I'm British, yes. But I don't think I really thought about it really like i remember here I'm, i was thinking about this when i was walking in and i was like thinking about how i learned to I actually learned about when i was younger like about how i learned about colonization but it was fr- through the um lens of oh the british um ruled over yeah. india for a, for a few hundred years and they built them railways but yeah yeah and yeah but it, it, it never occurred to me in my young state that that's, that's a bad my thing history. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah no no all that that's a yeah both of those both sides yeah. you know both ends of that is my history mm. so that's a, that's a really interesting contention actually because more time when you speak like you know of non like mixed race people it's one side or the other right yeah. I mean I think as I've sort of grown up and become more accustomed to it I think I have become a lot more um 
claiming of my Indian side. First and foremost, because I do think that we like we live in a... um, I always say this, I think, like we live in a patriarchal society, we live in a um, white supremacist society, and for that reason, I think you're either seen as being white or something else, and in Mm -hmm. a a world where I kind of exist as being part of that something else, I don't think I would, like, why would I go more towards claiming the white aspect of me when it's very clear that, like, people aren't going to see me as that. They might not even necessarily see me as being brown or whatever, but they're going to see me as being some anonymous thing. What do people assume that you are i i have such a hard time with this you know because i it's been like a really messed up thing in terms of my own identity because i i would love it if people saw me and like saw like because if you see me and my dad like we look like very similar like features wise Mm. maybe obviously not in skin tone but in features Mm. and i would love it if people saw me and were like oh yeah um, he's he he or he or, or he's got indian heritage but i will never know that because mm. I always get introduced to people as Carlos. People, and yeah, then obviously they think that. And I never know, is that because of the name or is it because, or did they already think that? What do random strangers walking in the street think? I never know that. I do think the fact that I have been lucky to never receive an outward racial yeah. slur apart from once when I was in primary school. Like I've never, the fact that I've never experienced that does um, obviously point towards the fact that I have privilege in terms of the fact that I yeah. do, I am like ambiguous in that sense. I feel like people probably look at me and think, oh, he could be, but he could not. So I'm just going to like leave oh, it. Yeah, sort of thing. Exotic, yeah. You know, the Mediterranean or something. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's from, from a um, purely personal perspective, it's a bit stressful. But like, obviously, in regards to this, um, yeah, I think, like like I said, in a world where, in a society where it's like white or something else, I don't know, I wouldn't, or why, what's the point of me fighting to try and be part of that when it's very clear uh-huh. that I'm not, yeah, like, seen, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. In general, it just highlights the fact that in a lot of places, not all, but in a lot of, like, the major cities in England, England specifically, not somewhere in Scotland, Wales and Ireland, but England specifically, in a lot of the cities, there is no look, there is no one way to be British, there is no, there's no such thing as Britishness, there's no template, whereas <clears throat> if you might go to Scotland or Wales or Ireland, especially, like, Ireland as well, um, or places in rural England where the population is majority white, then maybe in their heads there is a certain way. You're mm-hmm. never going to be able to hit the nail on the head. And I think coming from dual heritage as well, also then, like you said, brings that extra like stress and there's no point trying to fight it. Like you just kind of have to go with it because what, you know, yeah. you just have to claim however you feel. Yeah. Well, that's something to properly delve into another yeah, time. Yeah, because this, this, this kind of thing of like, racialization is very interesting like i think one thing that a lot of people get wrong about race and race making and racialization is that they think it's a direct attribution to and of your ethnicity and it's absolutely not like i do want to clarify and maybe we will talk about this later on in a different episode that racialization is entirely a a visual exercise as in if someone looks black they are black if someone Mm. looks asian they are asian if someone looks white there are white you know like how people talk about like oh i'm white passing there is no such thing as actually there is no such thing as white passing if you are if you look white you are white but you might be different ethnicity you know like you can have someone who is like arab but white you can have someone who is you know asian but white you can have someone who is you can even have people who are black but white you know like that is that is what racialization is racialization is literally it's completely completely phenotypical that is to say like your so your phenotype is the is the physical expression of your genes so however your genes are expressed and and however they make you look physically that is what your race is um and i think that's what a lot of people don't necessarily tend to to understand your ethnicity that's a completely different thing right your ethnicity is actually kind of like but more to do with your heritage where you're from where your family are from um but yeah definitely an interesting conversation for another day hello 
<laughs> Someone's turned American. I, I was, you know, like those stories about those people who like hit their head and then they wake up and they've got like a different accent. It's that actually mad. <laughs> I'd love that. But anyway, did you like that song? Oh yeah, I I like the song. Did you do you Simran? No silk. Oh silk, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very vibey, definitely. Very summery. Yeah. Shame we don't have the weather to match it. I mean, it's it's sunny. Every it's single, just windy. You know what? You've won the weather bet. You've won. You've won the. You've won the April weather bet because, as far as I remember, mine and Simran's weather bet was sun, oh. and we've both flopped. Oh yeah. Sim- no, I said a whole bunch right. of different things. I gave you a week by yeah, week breakdown. Base, basically, Simran, the week that you weren't here, the first week of April, we decided that we're just going to choose one of them. Um, but I don't, Fine. I don't think any of yours really could work. I, I think gave three, and they were all wrong. You said yeah. that we were going to have loads of snow. I think. And then you also oh, I didn't say snow. You said snow. <laughs> yes, you did. I wrote it down. And you also said that we were going to have rain in the week after. I don't think you did. I my my one was that I bet we'll have more rainfall this month than last month. Yours was that we're gonna have two days over twenty eight degrees. You wish, like literally. It was wishful thinking. Do you know why? Because I'm an absolute fool, and I believe the British weather people when they say that it's gonna be a heat wave. I believe them. I've lived in this country for twenty five years, and I still haven't learned my lesson. In the end, I think the real winner is no one. We're all losers. Yeah, in the end, we all yeah. lost. We all lost. We all lost because here we are. Oh, summer and it's only 15 degrees. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, also, I love how we're doing this when um, it's it, next week, it's still going to be April, but we're all just giving up anyway, like in advance. Anyway. May, you mean May. Next week is going to be May. It's going to be May. No, no. Um, Saturday no. is the last day of April, isn't it? It's yeah. So next Sunday, next week. Yeah, but no. But I mean, when we're here. Oh. Yeah, like oh, we're all just giving April. up. Oh, like. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, I've seen the weather. I've seen the predictions. Nothing is changing. Nothing ever changes in this country. I've learnt my lesson. But what's that thing called where you say something to make the other thing happen? Oh yeah, like reverse psychology. Reverse psychology. I learned that from Homer Simpson. Like, oh, we're gonna, is? yeah, wow. yeah, no, we're gonna let's do that. It's definitely yeah, not oh gonna be. Oh my god, it's gonna be <laughs> snowing and cold and so wet. Oh my god, he he he. I love you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, getting back to serious stuff. Today is Saint George's Day, and I'm not gonna play the national anthem again. Kalima, you'll be you. thankful. But um, we, we, we just had a whole conversation about what you know British nationalism and 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 how violent and dangerous it has been, and moving on now to a very pertinent example of it in real time. Yeah, the um, nationality and borders bill, which is basically the government are trying to get this bill passed. However, it keeps on going to the House of Lords and getting rejected and going back and forth, back and forth, sort of thing. Basically, the bill is. Um, or part of the bill um, focuses on splitting refugees into two groups, right? So refugees will be split into um, two different groups, and one of the groups will refer to those who have travelled to the UK via um, illegal means, essentially, which um, basically refers to, um, obviously, um, people traffickers, that sort of thing. Um, and basically, if you um, are put into that group, then you will very likely be dealt with offshore. Um, uh, so they basically will transfer you to a different country. I think the most recent development has been that this will probably be Rwanda, um, where you'll be dealt with there as an asylum seeker, essentially. Um, the other part of the bill that people are particularly angry about is that it will give the government powers to remove your British citizenship without prior notice if you can claim heritage elsewhere. So basically anyone who um, has heritage from another country which therefore allows them to claim heritage there um, not not even not also not even that has heritage but uh, sorry not even him um, is able to but could possibly you know what i mean it's basically so, what they did with shumima begum it's exactly yeah. it, it's like obviously that was um, Sajid Javid broke international law when he did that. We talked about that. But now they're trying to ratify it. Yeah, exactly. To, the thing that, that Sajid Javid broke the law by doing, they are now trying to legalise and ratify that. Mm-hmm. And it's worth bearing in mind, like, 
the fact that this keeps on going back and forth between the House of Lords because they keep on rejecting it, saying you need to, we advise that you change this, and they they keep on saying no. And the most recent vote was um, on Wednesday, and the MPs refused to change the bill again. Um, and it's going to go back to the House of Lords, and people are predicting it's going to be another um, turn down from them. So I don't really know how it's meant to um, progress, but. Um, obviously i think we've covered this bill in a lot a lot of different episodes um, yeah. and this, this topic in a lot of different yeah as well. but i think the thing to note here is in regard to the way in which this bill is going to work so splitting it into two groups um because of the whole oh traveling via legal means and the government there reasoning is they're saying we need to pass this bill because we um, want to stop the horrible people traffickers and we want to stop um, people taking such dangers and risking their lives doing this we need to make it clear how if people are willing to risk their lives well knowing that many before them have lost their lives like uh, in the channel or like died in like cramped in trucks all that sort of stuff if they're willing to make that risk do you really think that um this new bill is going to actually deter them because that's what you're saying that this is going to deter them it's not going to deter them um what the focus should be if you are actually concerned about um, people being taken advantage of should be to provide more safe routes right. to the uk but they're not focusing on that they're focusing on punishment rather than actual practicality mm-hmm. But yeah, um, any thoughts, Simran? <laughs> A lot of thoughts, none that I can see on radio. Yeah, head empty. I I didn't we did touch on this last week briefly, right? Yeah, so basic. You talked a bit about um, Rwanda, I believe, last week. That mm-hmm. was the, one of the most recent developments, which is that basically the when so when they say that they want to deal with um refugees offshore it basically means transport them somewhere else and then basically it's making it someone else's problem and it, it it's the fact that so many people have come forward like me and Halima were just discussing in the break about how even um Theresa may who was home secretary who was responsible for um windrush essentially um she was overseeing um the um that sector of government when that happened for someone like that to come forward and then be like oh this is morally wrong you do know obviously that there's very very wrong but then also i'm kind of like well how how are you choosing to take the moral high ground now like what's so different you know you, what i mean literally you who sent vans <laughs> you who sent deportation vans up and down this country put deportation adverts on these vans i mean i can't see it as anything other than lip service i'll be honest with you now now this whole uh Sometimes I'm kind of like a little bit flabbergasted because it's kind of like, how can I say the same thing in how many different ways? Because it's just reiterations of the same story that's coming up over and over again, which is essentially a story of racism and xenophobia, right? That's exactly what is at the core of these things. We spoke before about British citizenship and and at large, the ideas of like, just any idea of nationality and citizenship and how it's, you know, inherently violent and... um, an exclusionary and this is as i said before a real life example of it right like in the first instance like who gets to actually decide who belongs in a country and who doesn't right that's the first instance like what are the metrics that we use right okay do you know what no i can't tell you what are the metrics because they've literally categorized them now and they have given you metrics but but can we like sit for a minute and actually like deep sometimes that like, we accept normative politics so much that we don't deep how inhumane and how unnatural right how unnatural politics can actually be it is entirely unnatural to actually demarcate categorize people and 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 apply normative metrics on who is a valuable life and who is not a valuable life and based on those metrics who gets to be invited into a country and who gets to be deported out of a country right that is that is inherently racist right and those metrics are inherently racist like it's absurd it's absurd that that we have got to a point in society that a number of people have been vested with the power to decide 
whether other human beings are worthy and valuable or not based on a number of racist, normative, completely unnatural metrics, mm. right? That that firstly is just boggling. And I think that we don't deep that enough because we've just come to a place of acceptance. Well, we need to be governed in one way or the other. You know, if we don't have that, we'll have chaos and order and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera. Mm. That's one thing. Secondly, let's even talk about what Britain owes right because the problem is that a lot of people will be like it's not our problem let's let's treat rwanda as a wasteland it's not our problem bad times the reason that people are are refugees become refugees become asylum seekers because their their home countries are in political economic instability if you trace the history far back enough who will you find more time who will you find britain and i'm not even gonna say allegedly or whatever i'm saying more time go and look at the histories of these places right so let's even talk about we spoke before about um british nationalism and the role it played in colonialism and slavery and all of these things let's talk about the debt that britain owes let's talk about a thing called accountability and reparation and responsibility right if you're gonna go and destabilize a country you got to take responsibility for the aftermath and the fallout and the and the and the however many however many millions of refugees and asylum seekers that there might be and and the way to do it is not to then categorize using inhumane and unnatural categorizations of people like it's much to say much to say much to say oh. not much time i wish i was in the studio because all i want to do like i don't want to say anything but all i want to do is just ad lib Halima, mm-hmm. I can't do it here because of connection issues, but I just want to be like, reparation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then now we're talking about this whole, this the second part of it, which is um, kind of shipping people off to places where they have some kind of heritage. What is that about? And it's, it's the fact that it's... Um without even that in itself is bad but then it's like without any prior notification like if halima does something that the government doesn't like they could take one look at her be like right we're gonna take away her um, citizenship without uh, even telling her um go and get your citizenship in bangladesh yeah like. no i mean so so again when we're talking about things being inherently racist how can they do that to an english-born person like with english heritage you can't like say for example me and an english person with english parents and english grandparents born in england we committed the same crime we're guilty of the same crime but me i can be deported and this englishman can't for what mm. for what because my ancestors were from somewhere else how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? And as I said before, it's exactly the same thing that happened with the Shimima Begum case where we had a girl who, who, you know, regardless of her crime, right, not to diminish the crime, but regardless of the crime, she committed it on British soil, under the British eye, under the under British authorities, and now all of a sudden they're making her Bangladesh's problem when the girl ain't stepped foot in Bangladesh ever in her life. Ever in her life. It's so ridiculous because now, like, and this is what I mean in terms of, like, nationality and citizenship being completely, completely made up structures. Because because your ancestors were from a certain place, now, now, now we are making that place responsible for you. But actually, when you think of, like, citizenship, I can... Because the thing is, is that I... It's not the fact that I have Bangladeshi citizenship. It's the fact that I have Bangladeshi heritage right um and the fact that therefore i can get bangladeshi citizenship but i can also get canadian citizenship you know if this if this whole thing is about places where you can get citizenship i can get venezuelan citizenship you know i can i can get i can get chinese citizenship i can get citizenship in a number of different places but i am not at present at the time of whatever i have done wrong or that has caused me to lose my british citizenship i am not a citizen of 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 any of those countries i'm a citizen of britain right or i am on british soil i am i am the problem of the british state you can't just outsource your problems because they're they are not white something funny simran Halima is the problem of the British state. You know, I'm your trouble. You know, Priti Patel, you deal with me. I just summarise you in a sentence. You know, I'm your problem, Priti Patel. Oh, dear.
Right, we are going to have to put a pin in this um, topic for a second, um, or for the rest of this episode, actually. But um, just before we play a bit of music as well, obviously yesterday was 22nd of April, which also marks um, Stephen Lawrence Day. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Stephen Lawrence was a black British teenager who was murdered in a racially motivated attack in 1993. Um, just to bit, give a bit of context surrounding um, his murder, um, he and his friend were like travelling back from his uncle's house. Um, they were going to get a bus. Um, like Lawrence crossed the street to check whether the bus was coming. Um, this gang of um, white um, young people attacked him, um, stabbed him. Um, they both ran away, um, as in both him and his friend ran away. However, Lawrence was only able to run a short um, distance before he um, succumbed to his injuries. Um, it was the aftermath of this murder that uh, was particularly um, significant as well because initially those who committed the crime were not found guilty or were not I don't think they were even charged um, because um, it was said there wasn't enough evidence to bring to the table to actually charge them even though everyone actually knew who these people were mm-hmm. um, and it was said afterwards particularly um in the McPherson report, which was published in 1999, um, which actually concluded that the um, Met Police were institutionally racist and it was in looking at this case and the way that it was dealt with, they felt like if this had happened to a white person, then this would have, um, they wouldn't have played out and the people would have been um, charged and found guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we know further down the line now in 2012, I believe two of the five were um, further evidence was brought forward and they were actually found guilty and are serving the sentence but the other three i think they're just i think they're just free to do whatever they want um one thing which i did see the other day which was quite interesting um which i didn't know where well i wasn't aware about because obviously this happened when i was like my first year of life it was in 1997 um when they um daily mail of and again obviously <laughs> daily mail um how do I go about this? Basically, Any the da- sentence that starts with yeah. Daily Mail is... The Daily Mail has a certain reputation for being um, more right-wing, which I think is... That's, that's fact. Um, and they, of all newspapers, put out a um, headline which called all five of them murderers and said, like, basically, we well, you know what you did, blah, blah, blah. And... I think afterwards as well when asked about it the um, editor and Paul Dacre um, and this was a quote which I saw um, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if it hadn't been for the male's headline in 1997 and all our years of campaigning none of this would have happened Britain's police might not have undergone the huge internal reform that was so necessary race relations might not have taken the significant step forward that they have the Daily Mail took a monumental risk with that headline in many ways it was an outrageous unprecedented step now I it's definitely a um a significant step for a newspaper to come forward after a case has happened and call someone murderers um and obviously when you're saying that you're prepared to take accountability for that because you're you can definitely be sued for that however for something with that quote from that editor just didn't sit right with me the fact there was like oh i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we um all this reform has happened because of us we helped spur this on i'm just a bit like (laughs) i'm just a bit like even if that was the case which i don't think it is personally i don't think you should be bragging about that service it's once again lip service like you cannot you cannot i mean okay so first and foremost the stephen lawrence the the whole stephen lawrence case and, and 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 everything surrounding it as devastating as heart and heartbreaking as it was, it was absolutely groundbreaking that the legacy of the Stephen Lawrence case, right, was was groundbreaking in the way that it it, it finally allowed, you know, people of colour, particularly black people in this country, um, to be able to. It, it's kind of um, like a precipitation of what they'd known all along, and and you know, like uh, you know, people of colour will know 
um, one one great tactic of you know state racism, institutional racism is is gaslighting, is is the gaslighting and and the kind of um, you know the state and and the, and the media and 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 those powers kind of convincing people of color that racism is not a thing. And now all of a sudden, a report has been issued, and the report has come forward to say, nope, actually the Met are institutionally racist. It was absolutely groundbreaking. That did not come from thin air. A man, an innocent man, lost his life. And in the aftermath of it, thousands of people would have been galvanized. Thousands of people would have had to organize in the wake of a tragedy, in the wake of what is first and foremost a complete devastation. They had to turn. A death should always be a tragedy. That death had to be rendered political. They had to politicize that man's death in order to get that report. And I'm, and, and, and like, first and foremost, we got the report. Now what? Because it's now how many years? How many years now in the future? Fifth. Wait, Sibrid, how old are you? 99. 22 years now in the future. I was born in 99. I'm 22. Yeah, so 22, 23 years now. And and nothing. And we're still experiencing the same exact issues at, at 23 years later. So so to even... The, the report itself has not even done much, right? But it was it was as I said groundbreaking in being able to name the institutional racism, and it, and it was because as I said a, a young innocent man's life had to be politicised in order to do that, which is a double tragedy. So for the Daily Mail, who are notoriously racist, who are notoriously I guess I have to say in my opinion a fascist right-wing newspaper literally just look at the headlines that they print, look at the things that they print, right. They are notorious for it. Go and speak to any person of colour. They will only ever have one, or any self-respecting person of colour. They will only ever have one opinion on the Daily Mail. For them to come forward, to do lip service one time and say, oh my God, yes, Stephen Lawrence got justice because of us. Just to be clear, whilst that also might be my opinion, it is both of our opinions only. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Carlos is doing damage control. Yeah, it's our opinion. Simran has gone, but Halim is still here with me. Yeah, I'm about to take my British citizenship test, guys. How are you feeling? You know what? I did I did do it once before, like out of curiosity. I think I did like one question. It was about the London Bridge and the Tower Bridge because apparently they're two different things. And I did it and I thought, this is a load of nonsense. And I just turned it off. Right. Halima, are you ready for your British citizenship test? Yeah, go on. Hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. Okay. There are 10 questions. I'm going to say you need to get five right to pass. Is that what the actual... I, d- I, I, I don't know. Okay. But, like, okay. I'm sure it's probably more than that, but I'll, I'll be kind. Okay. So generous. I know. Right. So, one point or nothing. Which two houses fought in the Wars of the Roses? The House of Chester, York, Lancaster, or Newcastle? So you need two answers. Yeah, it was York and Lancaster, innit? Correct. Come on. You know that because you're northern. British girl, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Make sure Pretty Patel sees this clip, okay? <laughs> right, okay, so one point, one for one. That's good. Between 1680 and 1720, many refugees called Huguenots came to England. Which country did they come from? Pakistan, Germany, India, or France? France. Correct Yay! again. You're doing oh, very well. God. <laughs> I'm gonna have go on, go on. <laughs> right. Who was the captain of the English football team that won the World Cup in 1966? Sir Roger, Sir Roger Bannister, Sir Jackie Stewart, Sir Ian Botham, or Bobby Moore? Oh, how am I gonna know anything about football? Apparently, you're meant to. Uh, Bobby Moore. Correct. Yay! Again. Oh my god, I'm sick at this. You actually are. Oh my god. Right. So, when did the English defeat the Spanish Armada? 1466, 1066, 1254, or 1588? Oh, guys, what kind of question is that? It has to be quick. We have to be quick. Cause we're give us a clue. Give us a clue. Give I us a clue. You, a clue. you can't give us a no, clue. This isn't who wants to uh, 15. What was it? No, 12. 12. Oh, I'm going to pretend I heard yes! the first one. Yes! Yes! Come on. Who is the head of the Church of England? The Prime Minister, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope or the Monarch? The Archbishop of Canterbury. 
It is the monarch, Henry VIII. That's why he set up the Church of right, England. Right, because the mum wants to get divorced. That's okay. the one thing that you God learn sake. about. For God's sake, get true. I'm disappointed in myself, sorry. It's all right. You've got, what was that, four out of five so far? Okay. Right. I just included this one because I was like, lol. Racial crime and smoking in public places are examples of civil offences or criminal offences. Civil offences. It's a criminal offence, but it's, but it's funny because I was literally like, so you're literally conflating racial offences and smoking in public yeah. as criminal offences. That, that is literally one of the questions. I'm glad I got that wrong. I don't want <laughs> to get that one right. What kind of logic is that? Right. What was the estimated population of the British Empire during the Victorian period? More than 350 million people, 400, 450 or 500 million people? 500 million. It's, it's, it's 400 million people. Joke. Joke. I'm leaving. <laughs> what? How long does Diwali last for? A weekend, 40 days, 5 days, or a week? Actual oh, question. Here's a clue because I actually don't know this. I'm so sorry. You need to be more multicultural. I'm that. so sorry. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> it's either a. Uh, five days. Ah, oh, right. yes! Well Come done. On. Right. I'm Coming to the last two questions. I, I no, I think, you've, I think you've already passed, so you're doing well. Right. Last two questions. Which of the following is a fundamental principle of British life? Communism, intolerance, individual liberty, or inequity? Individual liberty. Correct. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. In their opinion. In their opinion. <laughs> and finally, who was voted the greatest Briton of all time in 2002? Yeah, Is it Mo Farah, <laughs> Admiral Nelson, Clement Attlee, or Winston Churchill? Churchill. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is you passed, unlike Simran. <laughs> oh my god, I would have said 7 out of 10. I think you got 8, you know. I have 7 on. or 8. Come on. How do you feel? I'm going to go celebrate with scones and clotted cream. <laughs> That's how I'm going to celebrate. British wow. Girl. British girl. When they come for me, I'm going to tell them, but I'll pass the citizenship on my Who would have predicted that you would have passed and Simran would have failed? You know what? I just know things. That's what it is. I just know things. All right, anyway, we're going to round things off there, but thanks a lot for tuning in to our St. George's special, guys. We'll be back same time next week, 4 to 6 p.m. on Pi Radio. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mango Masala Radio. And yeah, 